With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty, and I'm joined today by Kevin Maguire and Nicola Bartlett. And we're going to be discussing the Chancellor's Spring Statement. Philip Hammond stood up just a couple of, hour ago, couple of hours ago and spoke for a measly 26 minutes. There was uh, quite a lot of kind of good news presented by the Chancellor, but did it live up to expectations and beneath the figures? How good a picture of the economy was it? Kevin, what did you think? He's not a daft man, Philip Hammond, but that was 26 minutes wasted, and those figures are pretty bleak still. Every now and again you saw a slight little glimmer, but they are bleak and he's trapped in his austerity tunnel. Whether you look at growth, paying off debt, what's happening to wages, those figures were really bad and he would have ripped into Labour if a Labour Chancellor had produced those figures and he would have been quite right. So you watched him on his own side, you could hear him patting himself on the back. Most of his MPs just sat there grimly because the new economic outlook is, is poor. Every now and again, rather like in a sermon in church when the boring vicar stops, everyone just sort of and goes, Amen. They did a few, yeah, yeah. But that was it. The outlook is very, very poor. And however much he tried to polish those figures and put on the propaganda and be as deceitful as he was, you cannot hide the fact the British economy has taken a downturn. We've got one of the worst growth records of any major economy, in fact, a time we've got the worst. The debt is still going up and it's not falling. And so you cannot pretend it was anything other than a poor economic outlook for an uncertain political future. So just to put this into perspective, 2016, they revised down the growth figures, but they were still all above 2% a year for the next five years. Now he's marginally increased the growth of this year but then it's going down again and it's pretty anemic across the board isn't it it doesn't rise much above 1.4 percent in any of the next five years no in, in that five-year period there is not a single year when growth in britain is forecast to be over two percent that's never happened until these very recent years so this kind of economic miracle they used to present themselves as performing is a complete myth they put the con back into conservative and, and Nicola, was a tiny bit of good news from a Chancellor's point of view on, on the deficit. But as Kevin says, debt's terrible. Still £1.73 trillion in pounds of debt. And that's going to go up to £1.89 next year. So our debt is pretty horrible, but on, on the actual deficit, it wasn't quite so bad. Yeah, the, the, the Tories are obsessed with the deficit. This is kind of what they stuck their economic credibility uh, onto and and there is a slight as you say a slight glimmer of hope for Hammond on this but it's he's going to eliminate the deficit a long time after um, they the Tories first said that they would so you know even though while he's in the chair um, he's able to claim that success it's actually overall for the Tories a complete failure and they're still obsessed with blaming the previous 
Labour government for this situation. There was a jibe, at least two jibes in there, directed at Gordon Brown, which you kind of think, well, you guys have been in charge. Yeah, eight years old. Eight years. You can't still be obsessed with the, the you know, the last economic cycle. Um, yes, the financial... He's, he was sort of saying that, that this is, um, you know, a, the culmination of, of years of, of, of coming to terms with the effects of the financial crash. But a lot of other economies have recovered from that crash a lot better. Um, and we're now, you know, we, we're the lowest out of the G7 countries in terms of growth. And, you know, the American economy, yes, Donald Trump is in, is in you know, in charge right now. But actually, it's the investment that Obama put The Obama in stimulus. And so on, that is coming to fruition. Whereas the Tories took the complete opposite approach. And this is the result that they see. And, you know, they... they can still attack Labour all they like, but but this is their doing. There's a world uplift in the, in the economics, and we're missing out. We're not being pulled mm. up, and that's got to be a serious issue. See, I think they're only obsessed the Conservatives about the debt and deficit when it's Labour debt and deficit, mm. and they like to look the other way on their own. But by any test that they applied to Labour, you apply it to them, and they fail. They fail on wages, they fail on debt, they fail on on the deficit, they fail on growth. Well, this was, I thought, the fundamental problem with this very short statement. Um, and it was because that Hammond was kind of very good at reeling out statistics, but they were slightly twisted anyway to get maximum advantage. If you look at it, Jesse, on the deficit, well, only actually, it's only going to be 20 billion lower over five years. That's yep. not a great amount. And he misses the human side of politics. Mm. But there was nothing kind of there which showed any compassion for those who've suffered now a 17-year wage freeze. There was nothing there for those who are going to public services, whether it's schools, hospitals, and seeing crumbling buildings, NHS staff under strain and pressure to try and deliver decent services. And there was nothing there for local governments at all. And, you know, that translates not in terms of pounds and pence into not getting your bins collected, to potholes in the roads, to seeing your local kind of youth centre or sports facility closed down, closes a shore start. Those are the real things. And that's how people interact with politics. And I think he misses that. I think he's kind of almost kind of robotically blind to it. I think Hammond's a property developer with the air of a provincial funeral director. And he, you're going to feel him measuring people up for the box. He likes to look at much fun. He likes to look at <laughs> he likes to look at balance sheets, but that is it. And from the beginning, austerity was a Tory ide- ideology that shrink the state and recast Britain in a kind of individual devil take the hindmost way. And in some ways it's failed because they have begun to shrink the state. But there's no pluses. And people know that their wages are still below in real terms 2008. And as you say, it's going to be 17 years, 2025, when spending power is back to 2008. That's an appalling failure. And the thing he didn't mention is on April 9th, we've got 2.5 billion worth of cuts to to tax credits coming in. That's going to leave a lot of families £190 off worse off on average, you know. So it was very much, I thought, kind of, you know, this is wonderful today. It was kind of party political broadcast, but kind of almost kind of, you know, deliberately deceptive about what's coming down the track. No more so, I thought, than on Brexit. I'm not sure if you thought that, Nicola. There was one brief mention of Brexit about 15 minutes in. Well, I, I do sort of have a little bit of sympathy for Philip Hammond when it comes to Brexit, because we all know that he is not in favour of this at all, um, precisely for this, this reason, because although he didn't mention it, you could make an argument to say that, that Brexit hijacked his 
statement. He could not make any um, any promises because of the amount of money that that it is taking um, for the, for the government to to deal with Brexit, and because uh, overall the kind of bandwidth it's taking up in terms of the government's thinking space. I mean, you say he's somebody who's obsessed with um, with the figures. And maybe that would work if he was a chancellor in a government which had a kind of vision or a programme for domestic policy. But they're so taken up with this infighting over Brexit that, that there's nothing, you know, there's no, no room um, for any, any thought about what kind of country they want the UK to be. And with the OBR's um, forecast that, you know, would still be paying off this so-called divorce bill on Brexit to 2064... I mean, I think that that kind of will really bring things home to people how much this is going to continue to dominate politics for the, for the foreseeable future. Well, the Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, the Environment Secretary, all those who backed Brexit, their case at the referendum is absolutely destroyed in Philip mm. Hammond's books and the figures and the charts when you look at them. There is no £350 million a week extra for the NHS. It was a lie, it was a deceit, it's a myth, it just doesn't exist. However, he, Hammond himself, knows Brexit is a disaster. He's attempting to minimise it in his fights within the Cabinet, going for transition periods, trying to exempt key sectors of the economy, good luck with the cherry-picking. But at the same time, he will be a Chancellor who is pursuing policies and imposing policies he knows will harm the economy. You don't normally get that. The Chancellors could be wrong, but they don't normally do things they know are actually going to be harmful. And I, I think he, he shouldn't get away for his responsibility for that, nor Theresa May as a Prime Minister who again knows that Brexit will be bad for Britain, make us poorer, make us weaker, going to damage security. God, the old Salisbury spy Keir Shaws, you need your the support and the comfort of having neighbours on your side and you're in with them. But he's still pursuing Brexit. He didn't stand and say, Brexit's absolutely wrong, we shouldn't do it. He's still opposing it and he should get stick for that. And we still don't know the full impact. We know the cost of a divorce bill, but we don't know the terms of the impact and downturn <laughs> to the economy and the office for budget responsibility, the kind of independent watchdog which kind of oversees the figures and makes the forecasts on behalf of the government. They're still saying the government haven't given us the figures. We can't project in any way what's going to happen with Brexit. But what they do say is there's no dividend. They say the commitments they have made so far, whether it's on agriculture or putting in kind of, you know, customs posts, it's going to completely swallow any money you would have got for the NHS, the 350 million a week. That's gone already. So that's pretty damaging for the Brexiteers, isn't it? Quitting the European Union for the Brexit elite is a, is a religion. It's a, it's a faith. It's an obsession. It's, it's their ideology. They have to do it. They're not bothered about rational arguments. But future generations are going to look back and wonder why on earth we did this, inflicted such an act of national self-harm. And people like Hammond will have to be, will have to answer in history, and they will be judged harshly. What did you do? I did nothing. Yeah. Did you make a stand? No. No. And in the words of John Major, this is unprecedented for a government to willfully pursue a course which is going to make the country and people poorer. It, it's there's no example of this in previous other governments have done it by accident other governments have done it no, by absolutely. making decisions none of them done it deliberately it's really unusual no, I mean, Hammond doesn't care on many things uh, many things he does are very harmful to working people middle middle earners as well as low earners certainly people who have, uh, 
rely on uh, the welfare state. We've seen what they're doing to their health service because, yes, spending's going up, but it's an historically low amount. Schools are under huge pressure. But on Brexit, it's just you keep coming, coming back. He knows this is madness. Now, he, 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 he talked a little bit about possible jam tomorrow rather than jam today. But there was no attempt to say, but we're going to open the purse strings now on a public spending kind of easing austerity and more money for public service. He said, I, I will come back when he makes his budget in the autumn, followed by a, a spending review on trying to deliver more money. But there was no guarantee. Was that a, a, a major strategic blunder, do you think? Do you think, you know, it allowed a very easy ride, I thought, for John McDonnell and his response. But were we surprised that he wasn't even willing to say, look, we realise the NHS is in trouble, we realise that social care needs more money, we realise that the councils are, 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 have you know, been suffering now for eight years and taken the deepest cuts of all? Well, I, I, the, the, problem, the problem with that is he has already said that in, in other places. I mean, I think it comes back to your point, Kevin, I mean, what was the point of the statement today? If it was just to announce figures, there was, you know, there was no kind of hope there for for so many people in this country, for for NHS staff who have had a, um, a pay freeze and pay cap for eight years, for public sector workers, you know, saying it you might get something in the autumn is just really insulting. I think it's kind of taking them for a ride and taking them for granted. And, you know, people are getting a bit sick of the Tories praising the work of, of our NHS staff or, you know, praising the work of our emergency services when it comes to things like the Salisbury attack or, or the terrorist attacks we've seen. And then there there is no acknowledgement that these people are really, really struggling. And, you know, the, the, the pay cap, we've already had discussions about lifting that and talks have been ongoing behind the scenes. But... There's no extra money that that Hammond's committed. I mean, that would have been a really, you know, significant thing if he would have said, whatever the the pay agreement is, it will be funded by the Treasury. But the all of the suggestions point to the fact that the, the NHS, which is already, you know, breaking at the seams, will have to find that extra money from within its own budgets, which is just, you know, it's it's almost not to allow the government to claim credit for lifting this cruel pay cap that they impose would just be so unfair when it's going to hurt, you know, the, the hospitals and, and, and doctors um, by doing it. Hammond's jam tomorrow is as real as Ken Dodd's jam butty mines, but not, not <laughs> half as funny. And the, re- the reason I don't think he'll ever produce it isn't just the terrible economic outlook on his watch you would have to admit the strategy you're pursuing is wrong mm. and that Torynomics has failed. And actually, you really need to put substantial sums into public services because it's for the public good, that you need to strengthen people's incomes to get the economy going rather than squeezing them, keeping the cap on. And he's not going to do that. He's incapable of doing that because it is an admission that his ideology and austerity have absolutely failed. And it's just politically impossible for him to do it. But at some point, the Tories are going to have to confront this issue because they cannot keep having kind of, you know, kind of the demands, the kind of Bermudan levels of taxation. So we have to, you know, cut corporation tax. We've got to be competitive with the 
opposing demands are kind of like Berlin levels of public services. You've got Tory MPs kind of saying, you know, we want more money for our schools. You mm. had Gavin Williamson, <laughs> the Defence Secretary, uh, Secretary, tweeting saying, please sign this petition to protect bus <laughs> services in my constituency in Staffordshire. <laughs> you know, and that, this is where the, 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 they are kind of really kind of, they've got to resolve this internally as well as, as well yeah. as for the country. It's a big problem for them. Well, you've, and, you've got, like you say, you've got Tory politicians, you've got Tory councils that are really struggling. You know, Surrey have come out quite strongly and said that they need more money. And Northampton too are pretty much uh, on the brink, to be honest. And it's it's almost like there's a complete disconnect for the Tory government between what they do and, and say in Westminster and the effects on their own constituency. I mean, for Gavin Williamson to, to tweet a petition against his own local Tory council, it's just kind of the mind... The mind boggles, and the government seem to think if they say, you know, they talk about a kind of uh, more money for the NHS or more money for councils enough, then then that makes it true. And they just, they, I think the the trouble as well is that, you know, Osborne and Cameron may have started us down this road, but the the cuts are really starting to bite now. So I think there's almost a resentment from Hammond that he's getting the blame and he doesn't want to, to acknowledge that. So he's just kind of burying his head in the sand about the reality that people are facing. Putting it on his head, really. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you, <laughs> and, you, and you've got this problem from as well. They've got the local elections coming up in, in, in May. There was actually nothing to help local councils at all. And you, and you can see, I think... You know, there's already polls showing that the Tories are going to face a very rough ride in London. They could mm. lose flagship councils as, as like Wandsworth in some polls, which would be disastrous for them. But also, it's it's not just in London. They had really bad set of kind of by-election results at a local level in the last three or four weeks. It, it feels at the moment as if they're pinning all their hopes on a, on a war with Russia. And Theresa May standing strong, waving the flag, presenting herself as uh, you know, Britannia and painting uh, Jeremy Corbyn as weak. That seems to be their, their strategy because they can't, they, can't face, they can't face confront the reality of what, they, what they've done on the economy which, and the public services. And which was happened, that mentioned about the big news today, which happened as Philip Hammond, just about two minutes after he stood up, was that the US Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, was, was sacked by Donald Trump, <laughs> by <laughs> Twitter. And, and Rex Tillerson famously does not have Twitter, so he didn't know he'd been sacked. But what was so extraordinary about this was this was kind of 24 hours after Rex Tillerson had been the, kind of the one leading American politician mm. to stand side by side of us on the Salisbury incident. Yeah. So, so we're, we're losing allies. Uh, we've got a, somebody in the White House who is you know, facing allega- allegations of kind of, you know, he's being compromised by, by the Kremlin. And we're, we're cutting ourselves off from Europe just at the time when we need international support to stand up to Russia. I'm, I'm sure it was a coincidence that a Trump backed by Russia for the election uh, gets rid of the Secretary of State who's criticised Russia 24 hours later. I'm sure that's just a yep. coincidence. But the whole, the whole maelstrom, the whole, this whole controversy, it makes the international tradeless secretary, Liam Fox, look completely uh, isolated and stupid when he, he's pinning so much hope on new trade deals. And you get the Brextremists pretending there's going to be a great deal with America. They can now and again poke Trump and say, yeah, I'll do a trade deal with Britain. Forgetting he's there, he's there as the America first president, mm-hmm. so it's going to be Britain second at the very best. And you, it's it just kind of it almost defies any logic. And again, there is no logic to it because it is just an act of faith, obsession 
ideology by those people who are ripping Britain out of the European Union, and they're ripping a weak Britain out of the European Union. That's going to get weaker. And, and we had the extraordinary spectacle last night, quite late on, of Liam Fox giving a statement to MPs on the steel trade war, which is looming with the United States, saying, I'm going to be talking to my European colleagues to see what sort of action we can take together. This is the same Liam Fox, who's the biggest neocon in the cabinet, the most pro kind of Atlanticist of any Tory for decades, suddenly having to go cap in hand to the EU to say, oh, we need to work together on this. I, I've never seen anything like it. And he seemed totally unshamed by the whole kind of process. He is shameless. It's, it's, it's Liam in Wonderland. He's gone through the looking glass. He, he's, he's completely and utterly lost it. If you ever... If we ever try to apply logic to to Liam Fox, we just fall about laughing. It's impossible, <laughs> it's impossible to, to do. He just struts around, rather likes it. But nobody listens to him or really takes him, him seriously. I and, think he takes himself very seriously. Uh, well, OK, apart from Liam Fox. <laughs> but it is, it, it, it's, it's kind of, we're laughing now, but it's depressing. It's absolutely, utterly depressing because... As you start to say, Philip Hammond doesn't get the human in politics, and that's what politics is all about in the end. It is about people and hopefully making people's lives better. This government is not making people's lives better. It's actually actively making them worse. Was there any good news at all buried in what, as I said, was a 26-minute statement, (laughs) Nicola? Um, I think, um, well, it's certainly presented as good news, but the... um, the fall, the pretty fall in inflation, um, in terms of wages, may be some good news. But for people who, you know, whose wages have not increased for a long time, it's as, as you said, it's kind of thin gruel, and it did really feel like you're kind of scrabbling around to find anything. Yeah, anything the, the thing which caught my eye was this this consultation. Well, a lot of consultations yeah. I noticed today, rather than any kind of firm announcements, that that they may. Uh, slowly get rid of one and two penny coins. I actually think actually could that could prove quite politically controversial for the Chancellor. <laughs> I, I, one, it makes it very difficult to say I'm going to take a penny off income tax or a penny off a pint of beer, because there won't be a penny to take away. But but also I think, you know, certain people are going to be quite attached to their, their, their copper coinage, aren't they? And it's going to be difficult for going to the seaside and put your 2p in the machine. And... I, I think it'll just be inflationary <laughs> because prices will be rounded yeah, up. And so much yeah. now is bought online or using using plastic and you're £1.99. What's wrong with having £1.99? You might have got a penny change, but it's a penny off uh, £2. Is that going to disappear when everything has to be in, in units of five? I have no idea, but you just made me sound fuddy-duddy. Yeah, well, you are. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to know where you're going to find this amusement arcade. They will exist, but there's not many of them left. I think a lot of them... penny falls still go. A lot of them charge 10p now. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, <laughs> but you can still go know, if they get rid of one in two You still get penny tips. <laughs> uh, no. I'd like to say you should get out a bit more, but I, I think you probably should just stay in. You may, you may, you may be a threat to yourself <laughs> well thank you for that guys <laughs> I always like to end the podcast on a little bit of humiliation uh, you can go to our, our, our website mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes that's A-Y-E-S to register I'm on Twitter as at JBTMirror Nicola's on Twitter Nicola R. Bartlett and Kevin Kevin underscore Maguire and here's a short puffer on Monday, the 19th of March at 6pm. We'll be doing a Facebook Live 
with a Brexit expert, Anand Menon. He knows more about Brexit than anybody else in Britain. He's a top guy. I'm going to play you a little clip from him in a minute, but if you have any questions, go to Facebook and we'll try and answer them. It'll be live 6pm on Monday. Please join us. Thank you. Hiya, I'm Anand Menon and I'm a professor here at King's College in London. I run a group of academics called the UK in a Changing Europe and it's our job to try and explain what Brexit is all about. And at six o'clock on Monday the 19th of March, I'm going to be joining the Mirror's political editor, Jason Beatty, in a special Facebook Live event to take your questions about Brexit. So, if you've ever wondered, why haven't we left yet? Are we going to leave? What's going to happen when we leave? What's a single market? What's a customs union? What in the world is regulatory alignment? Anything at all that takes your mind about Brexit, anything you'd like to ask, you can come online to the Mirror Politics Facebook site and ask your questions and I'll do my level best to answer them. Look forward to seeing you then.